0: God, we ask that we may join you in Capernaum, in the house, with Jesus and the disciples, in the congregations where the letter of James was read and continues to be read, that you might inculcate in us a gentleness born of wisdom, that we might welcome you like we might welcome a child, even a child being baptized on this day, and that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. Amen. We are blessed to have many kids in church today, which we love, and I just want to say if anybody's feeling restless, whether, whatever your age, you can feel free to get up and go use a rocking chair or wander around whatever you need to enjoy this time in this space. You will see we have a stage here that is for a Shakespeare company that's going to be in our space for the next two months. It is a temporary stage. We're just trying it out. Um, Your former cabaret performer pastor is kind of excited about it, so uh, I hope we all can have fun with it while it's with us. We may keep it for a Mall in the Night visitors in December. I also just want to, before I get into the sermon, I just want to say some of you know I had a rather harrowing week uh, while... Taking care of my mother and her health concerns in Missouri, Uh, Robert, my partner, had an emergency hospitalization with a fever of 103. Couldn't walk. Was having trouble thinking. Blurry. Uh, All I have to say is thank God for antibiotics and antivirals. He is doing much better and recovering at home and sends you all his love and getting steadily better every day. And I'm always grateful for the prayers and support of this community. And he's sending his love to you. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me, but the one who sent me. And then from the letter of James, we hear, Show by your good life that your works are done with a gentleness born of wisdom. That's what I'd like to delve in today. A gentleness born of wisdom that often is shown to us most brilliantly by children. Now, I've said to you before, I sometimes feel a deficit as your pastor, particularly those of you who are raising kids, because I am not a parent myself. I have never known firsthand what it's like to stay up all night with a sick kid or to wait for the the car to come in the driveway after curfew or that pain, that heart being ripped apart when they leave the nest. But I'm very sympathetic to it. Years ago, Robert and I decided not to be parents, but to be good uncles and godparents, and that's what we strive to be. And it's a great blessing, and some of you may know that a few years ago, I was invited to be the biological father for two boys who are now being raised in Oregon by two United Church of Christ ministers. These poor boys have no chance with three parents as UCC pastors. Laughter but they are, uh, we spent some time with them in August over our vacation, which is great. And they're wonderful ages, which usually anything between six months and 12 years is a wonderful age. They are two and a half and five years old. And it was great for me to spend time with them and that sort of easy affection they showed with us, and that natural curiosity, and that wonder they have about the world, all the exploring that they're doing under the guidance of some really great moms. The two-and-a-half-year-old is blithely getting into all sorts of mischief, thinking nothing of sitting bare-bottomed on the bookshelf looking out at the world from the front window and squeezing sunscreen all over the place, (laughs) or opening up cabinets and pulling things out or tearing things up. He's at that kind of destruction stage, but a spirit of adventure that is just simply unquenchable, and I tried to summon up some of that spirit of adventure when we unexpectedly found ourselves on a whitewater rafting trip, stage four rapids with a 20-foot cliff to drop off into uh, 41-degree water. Um, And so I invoked the spirit of that two-and-a-half-year-old, and and it got me through. The five-year-old, on the other hand, is at that wonderful age where he's figuring out how the world works. He's observing. He's studying. He's gauging. On the playground, he's watching who has the power and what the dynamics are before he kind of jumps in and figures out his place in the playground world. My favorite moment was our farewell conversation. I asked him what he wanted for his fifth birthday. And he came in really close to me in this very sort of intimate entre-new kind of way. And he said, I want a Playmobil Ghostbusters house. He kept looking at me to be sure I understood, and so I'm looking it up on my phone. This one? No, not that one. This one? No, not that one. This one? Yeah, that's it. $60 on sale at Target. Okay. I also want a Playmobil Ghostbusters car. Okay, I looked it up. I also want a A Ghostbusters hot dog stand. Okay? And also, a Ghostbusters marshmallow man. Okay? So, Hudson, if you just had one of these things to choose from, what would it be? Two things. (laughs) I said, I get it. I know you want all of them, but if you just could have one, what would it be? And he said... Well, you could get me one for my birthday and one for Christmas. <laughs> I can see my grandfather's great negotiating skills, known as the man to be careful doing business with in Northwest Missouri farmland. And I can see my uncle who's inherited that mantle. I can see my mother who will go to any length to get a good deal. In fact, when I told her this story, she laughed uproariously. And the next day, she said, I want to get him something on that list. (laughs) And I think it was actually more out of respect than affection. (laughs) I also learned from his mother that he's learned a technique, which is to say, if you don't give me that, I'm not going to be cooperative at bedtime. To which his mother wisely said, it doesn't work that way, bud. (laughs) But... I can see that wonderful little will working away, testing the boundaries, figuring out how it all works. And let me tell you, I have used those same techniques with our treasurer and facilities manager this last week as we've dealt with some of our tenants, Okay? (laughs) So that is where we see the seeds of who we are. As Aristotle or Francis Xavier or someone we're not sure said, show me a child up to age seven, and I will show you the adults. You may know there's a whole documentary chasing some folks who are now 63 to test out that hypothesis. So it makes me question and wonder, as we understand children, what we make of these stories from the Gospel of Mark and the letter of James. Now I've been warned by the commentaries not to wax too sentimental about childhood. I think you have a sense that I don't wax too sentimental about that. I know it's not all flowers and roses and butterflies, but We often see in those early years the shaping of the person we're going to become. I was thinking as I was preparing this, what would it be like to look at all of you as kindergartners out here, your kindergartner selves, and what you were thinking about and feeling. I often tell our scripture readers to imagine that we're all kindergartners. We have enough intelligence to get it and enough enough need for animation and keeping it lively and interesting. I like to think that most of us, when we are knit together in the womb, that we are naturally born with this vulnerability, which is true. We are very vulnerable when we come into this world. But I also like to think there's a kind of gentleness of spirit, that there's an insatiable curiosity, that there is a sense of wonder about the world, that there's a kind of playfulness with life, that there's an ability to make a whole world, an entire galaxy, of just some sand and rocks or twigs and leaves and soil in the world. And I like to think that at our very best, we take that into the world with us, whether we're a musician exploring all the ways we can make notes and harmony work together, or a scientist trying to find the new boundaries and the new questions that we need to pursue, that sense of exploration, or a teacher trying to make sure the lesson gets in in new ways, or whatever our profession or chosen work may do, especially being parents and friends. I'm aware that the awesome duty of parenthood is to kindle this spark of curiosity while also helping calibrate this internal spiritual equilibrium with as much guidance and as little unnecessary interference as possible. Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me but the one who sent me. That was very profound for him to say in that setting because children in those days were much different than how we treat them today. They were basically non-persons or not-yet-persons. They were considered their father's property. And so for him to elevate a child in that midst was a profound statement about how God works. It was true in his own birth that we say the Son of God came as a vulnerable little child in the middle of a stable in a feeding trough. And then we have, as we all do, as we do on the playground, as we do in our work, as we do in our play, this tussling, this wrestling for greatness among the disciples. That's what prompted him to say it. In the next chapter, he'll say what we said in our baptism liturgy, because that I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. These words had me thinking that maybe the kingdom of heaven as we imagine it to be, or as we try to make it possible here on earth, is a little bit like a playground. A playground where we can explore and try out things and explore relationships and discover together what it means to be in this world, what it means to be aligned with God in God's kind of playground. I also love this phrase from the letter of James, that we are meant to cultivate and practice a kind of gentleness that is born of a deep wisdom. The word in Greek for gentleness is kind of like mildness of disposition or gentleness of spirit or even meekness, or you could even lean into humility. Now, anyone who's been around Boston area particularly or like me has lived in Cambridge for a while knows there's a big difference between intelligence and wisdom. There are plenty of super smart, highly educated people all around us who are bound up by insecurity or immaturity or neuroses or, frankly, trauma that may have happened to them. Or, as like the disciples, some sort of desperate striving to figure out who can be the greatest and make a name. But as smart as they are, they may have no wisdom. Some of us had grandparents who never got through grade school who had a lot more wisdom than people we might meet with the biggest letters behind their names. And according to James, true wisdom leads us to being peaceable, not jealous, not selfish. That the desires which can destroy the fabric of the human community are put away. We turn away from those and turn to God. I was thinking about who some of my heroes are who I think show this gentleness born of wisdom. And one of them is the cellist Yo-Yo Ma. Now, I had the opportunity to meet him and, and be in a worship service with him in which, as some people say, he's nicer than Jesus. He's extremely sweet and humble with these great gifts. And he has this sense of adventure that started in the classical world but took him to bluegrass of Appalachia or to the Silk Road of Central Asia or to, to in, in his uh, great experience, to tango and music of Brazil, If you watched when he was given the Kennedy Center Award, you know that Elmo is the one who introduced him to the crowd, saying that Yo-Yo Ma had introduced him to a musical playground where no exploration was too daring or too unusual. I like that because it has allowed people from all over the world of all different tastes to enter into the joy and the God-given experience of music. And when pressed about this, Yo-Yo Ma said... I must like being scared a lot because I'm constantly doing things that frighten me, that push the boundaries of my own awareness. For the past year, I've been dipping in and out of a book that Robert gave me, a book of joy. It's a dialogue between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And I think of them as these esteemed spiritual leaders, these international rock stars of the spiritual world, who when you really get down to their conversations, they're like two guys goofing off, laughing with each other, teasing each other. But there's a wonderful chapter in that book about joy coming from gentleness or humility or meekness. And the Dalai Lama confides that in super-serious formal events... He is always hoping that something unplanned will happen. A person will trip in the processional or a bowl of fruit will fall to the ground. Because it it shows spontaneity, it shows people being human, it shows people being real. Now this is a guy who has every reason to be mournful, being segregated from his parents at a young age as he was chosen to be the carrier of the faith and take on this global responsibility, having lost his homeland, being the de facto leader of a people in exile surrounded all the time by bodyguards because he fears for his life up against a giant human rights-denying empire. And this is the man that people go to again and again for some very simple, very basic wisdom, a gentle kind of wisdom about what it means to be a soul having a human experience. And he says that he tries to remember whenever he gets up in front of a group of people... That he's just another human being speaking to other human beings all cut of the same cloth made up of the same soil and the same stardust. And Desmond Tutu weighs in in saying when we realize that we are all children of God all of equal and intrinsic value then we don't have to feel better or worse than others people. No one is a divine accident. While many may not be special we are all essential. No one can fulfill our role but us in the divine plan of karmic unfolding. Sometimes we confuse humility or meekness or gentleness with timidity. This gives very little glory to the one who has given us our gifts. Humility, gentleness, is the recognition that our gifts are from God, and it lets us sit relatively loosely in relation to those gifts. God uses each one of us in a way, and even if you are not the best one, you may be the one who is needed or the one who is present. We can take this a little bit further in the theological and political implications of what Jesus was doing when he selects out children as important people for us to emulate. Martha Cache a theological professor at Columbia Theological Seminary says, in the world of empire, which Jesus was living in, which many of us now live in, the politics of empire favor relationships of power and privilege, but here, the politics that are embodied by Jesus lift up the lowly, those with no power or privilege but great creativity, great possibility, great sense of wonder and exploration. He renounces the traditional social status and says that children are the ones we should look to. The gift of children is thus not only about the delight and wonder that they embody for us, that we all embody inside here, that we all have as that seed of our beginning, but is something that we draw as Jesus' followers in resisting imperial powers of our time that oppose the kingdom of God. I'm going to close with the words of a songwriter, Annie Dinerman, a sort of prayer that I keep close to me. You may find it a little bit sentimental, as the commentators warned me against, but I pray that you'll take with it what you need. For I'd like to be a child again, God, and look for trees to climb again, recite a little rhyme again, and dream a reckless dream. For someone I'd exiled in me, awoke today and smiled at me. And I need to find that child in me again. I know we all grow older, grow sadder, grow wiser, grow colder, grow up. So I look for myself, leaving no stone unturned, all I need to recapture the truths I've unlearned. The honesty, the open face, the simple faith and easy grace. I didn't see time erase the child that used to be to find myself a child again, to meet the morning mild again, to run headlong and wild again into a dawning dream. It seems like such a precious thing, a peace beyond imagining. Yet I believe that winter will give way to spring. I'll have to wait a while and see. They may come back in style in me. They'll awake and smile in me and be reconciled in me. God, help me find this child in me again. Amen.